Hi gang, Morgan and Isabel here to share. We are looking for a new member for the WOE team to help us edit and cut episodes. If somebody you know, or you yourself, has experience with editing podcasts or even music and is interested in adding us to your portfolio, please reach out. Email womansmail at gmail.com with the subject line editor pretty basic understanding of sound editing software is a good starting point. Yeah, we want this to be mutually beneficial, meaning we'll be able to offer some compensation for your time and are open to supporting any creative goals you have and see how we can work together. Again, email womance, that's W-H-O-A-M-A-N-C-E, mail at gmail.com with the subject line editor. Mail as in mail a letter, not mail as in mister. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to hearing from you. Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Romance. A podcast about romance novels. About nipples with personality. About house parties. About chocolate stained baby teeth. About horse girls. About like a Hallmark movie, but with affliction t-shirts. About the assiduously white named help that you feel guilty about uh, having in your home. It's about Airbnb for the upper crust. It's about understanding that end stage capital is bad, but also really loving the luxuries of it. It's that musty smell of an indoor pool and the mustier smell of a cherry printed bikini. It's about loving your friend's baby sister. It's about not needing dating apps when you have a family tree. (laughs) It's about abuse by other names. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, we're reading Hurts to Love You, Forbidden Hearts by Alicia Ray. What year was this published? Great question, Morgan. I'm glad that you asked that. This book was published in the year of our independent lord, 2018. All right. Wow, that's actually pretty recent. It's been published since we've been making this show. Mm-hmm. Alicia Ray is probably better known for her big one that we did earlier on the podcast uh, about the right swipe. That was a illustrated cover. This is a clinch cover. Yeah, but it's in the same uh, cinematic universe. It is in the same cinematic universe. Which one was published first? This one. Okay. Hurts to Love You. This series was published before that series. But it's still part of the same series, right? Technically, in a way. Hey, listen, if you've got a well and a bunch of characters that you like, if if Kathleen Woodowis and Johanna Lindsay can stay with that pirate family for two generations, Alicia Ray, get yours. <laughs> Alicia Ray, get yours. You heard it first here on Wellmance. I mean, listen, we had a TV show called Dallas and another one called Dynasty. Obviously, we love convoluted family structures that make no sense. Yeah. All right. uh, Where should we start? Well, where we always start. I think we should start at the back of the book. (laughs) Being bad never felt so good. In the third novel in Alicia Ray's sexy Forbidden Hearts series... Well-behaved women don't lust after men 
who love to misbehave. I don't feel like that's true. I I don't think we should call fledgling alcoholism misbehave. (laughs) (laughs) Continue. (laughs) Heiress Evangeline Chandler knows how to keep a secret ellipses like her lifelong crush on the tattooed hottie who just happens to be her big brother's friend she's a chandler after all and chandlers don't hook up with the help then again they also don't disobey their fathers and quit their respectable jobs so good girl rules may no longer apply she hasn't kept it a secret she's thrown herself at him also, she like super duper quit her job in a big way. So, Meh. Gabriel Hunter hides the pain of his past behind a smile, but he can't hide his sudden attraction to his friend's sheltered little sister. Eve is far too sweet to accept anything less than forever, and there's no chance of a future between the son of a housekeeper and the town's resident princess. Also, this town has several princesses, which seems like too many. Perhaps they've all moved to the suburbs. <laughs> when a wedding party forces Eve and Gabe into tight quarters, keeping their hands off each other will be as hard as keeping their clothes on. The need that draws them together is stronger than the forces that should shove them apart, but their sparks may not survive the explosion when long-buried secrets are finally unearthed. Well, that's a very exciting back of the book. I want to, like, if anyone's considering reading this and was like, oh, wow, that sounds kind of like describing, like, sheltered little sister, sweet. Like, it's not that. This isn't that. Uh, it doesn't, nope. it doesn't uh, linger in the youth of, uh, it's not fixer up, okay? There's not going to be, it's, it's not infantilizing. It sounds like it could be. Yeah, in fact, it's really insistent upon Eve's adulthood as almost an antidote to the poison that was fix her up. Yeah, this book does handle it in the way that, like, handle it. Like, it's not a problem that you're somebody's younger sister. It's a problem if you conceive of yourself that way. Yeah. And this book takes great pains through multiple characters to help Eve take hold of her adulthood. So, like, there are multiple points where she's like, I can't do that. And other characters are like, you're a grown-ass woman. And I really appreciated that. And I think I appreciated it way more because we had so recently read Fix Her Up. Yeah, I don't think I would have noticed it or appreciated it. It's just kind of rising to the level of like appropriate. <laughs> it's not like this. Romance novels are where are like little you're in your mind palace and it's a very nice Airbnb and you just have the one butler and you make your way downstairs and you discover sitting in the hot tub, the indoor basement hot tub, your id. And that's that's a romance novel. So it's nice that it's not there, but I appreciate it. Like, look, I mean, there's space for the weird little sister stuff. There's space for the weird little sister stuff. We don't stew in it. We don't make a deal of it. When she says that she wants to start her own business, Gabe, our titular main character hero, just takes her at her word, which is nice. Sometimes I will say that this book felt like 
a very special episode of like families who love each other but still fuck each other up. Okay. Because like her brother's very well-meaning and super protective but is like infantilizing <laughs> her and like his fiance is like mm. trying to curb that and they're all just trying to muddle through but they all essentially love each other so when you said in the intro that it's like a hallmark movie yes it is like a hallmark christmas movie where everybody genuinely tries to be an okay person with the exception of our villain who is utterly villainous and without recourse or sympathy or depth but also really not present except in like memory until the very end but also like yeah I was like oh I don't even know if this book makes space for weird little sister stuff but yeah her older brother is um like this book doesn't get off scot-free because her older brother is that particular kind of masculinity that's domineering and Mm -hmm. like taking care of someone and it is like abusive but she does call him out and she's like it is abusive you do remind me of our father um when you speak to me that way but I'm a little concerned about his wife. <laughs> Libby. And, yeah. And if she finds opportunity to call it what it is like that. But I haven't read her book. I don't know what their deal is. Maybe he saves all that uh, possessive rage for his little sister, like Tony and Scarface. Yeah, that seems right. So, <laughs> Morgan... Ask me what I would do with the most plebeian version of time travel. Like where I can't do anything big, but like can do just one very simple, very like can't change anything in the timeline really. Isabel, what would you do if you could do the most plebeian version of time travel? Morgan, I'm so glad that you asked me that. I would have read this (laughs) book before Fix Her Up so that I could judge it more objectively. Because of Fix... Yeah, I like this book. I like this book. And I think I like it because it's such, it fixes so many of the problems of Fix Her Up in a way that is like almost one for one. I have a hard time, like I, like we're going to talk about the problems, but it's also like I understand that I would not have liked this book mm. maybe mm. even at all, but certainly not as much as I liked it if I had read it before Fix Her Up. Finding a bottom and then finding the rug above that I guess is a useful exercise, but I wish that I had the time travel so I could judge this book a little more objectively for all of you yeah. because that's who I do this for. Well, to be honest... Little Sisters in Romance wasn't a problem I felt needed to be fixed <laughs> till Fixer Up. And I feel like strange now contextualizing <laughs> this is like, finally, a solution <laughs> to the like, very idiosyncratic problem. And I guess like I-, I can see how easily like younger sister falling in love with older brother's best friend is a, is a trope. It's a trope in a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I-, I-, <laughs> I guess I didn't know how precarious it could be until my first like pie in the face uh experience with it but that's a really good point yeah I think there's like a rosy glow around this like I said because it's it's rising to the level of like appropriateness and like adequacy and that's what I mean when I say like you know I don't I don't want to say like romance is inherently problematic or like you shouldn't say romance is problematic or confront any of this stuff because if you know you should those are hooey things to say but I will say like romance I think is very much where we do away with like metaphor and we do away with suggestion and we're very upfront about our desires and our fantasies and what's sexual to us and you know some books 
are a little bit more evolved than other books and like good for them but also I want to validate those <laughs> those those uh hurdy-gurdy ones like fixer up there's my there's my thesis statement validate hurdy-gurdy ones jeepers oh I don't I don't feel the need to validate that that book well I think the thing is is like if you're gonna be hurdy-gurdy maybe don't start with like a trope where the phrase little or younger is involved I mean when you said hurdy-gurdy I immediately thought of like evening star Johanna Lindsay and like a subsequent spanking like somebody who's dealing with id both honestly and with deft purpose versus like a limp dick insisting on itself it's a slippery slope but not first for this particular book this particular book seems to be telling like a pretty straightforward story in that sense and a pretty tangled tale in the sense of i can't remember who anybody is or how they're related or whether or not they're related i got it at the end and it doesn't really matter, right? No, it doesn't matter. Um, this isn't a situation where we're head hopping, except between <gasps> Gabe and Eve. This isn't a situation yeah. where other characters are more finely drawn. Although, like, this book does do the thing that I would call, like, last week on Grey's Anatomy to make sure that anybody who's, like, jumping into the very uh, tangled dynamics, like, gets it. So then there's this person named Seda whose first husband Paul they were high school sweethearts he died very tragically and now she's dating Jackson who's Paul's younger brother but also Livy's twin brother which is like spoiler alert too late and Seda's really good friends with Livy but Livy and Seda don't like Eve our main character as much because Eve is also possessive of her brother and in a book that we haven't read she like had some sort of scene well there's like the family has like a Hatfield and McCoy's thing right the two families and then there are all these auxiliary characters who like are tangled in the Hatfield McCoy thing which makes total sense anyway it's people get drawn into this drama and whether or not they matter is not they do because they have their own books but they don't really matter for this book except that we get these paragraphs about them which is just like expository to the max and I'm like I'm gonna forget this in the next chapter when you tell me about the musty swimming pool and like the horse ride in the rain like I just not gonna remember this stuff I'm sorry to feel like Alicia Reed's books are all centered around this one family and the only job you can have is inventing an app. <laughs> that does seem to be the thing. So our heroine is like a very blue-blooded wealthy lady, but she's got a crush on this boy from the wrong side of the tracks who's a tattoo artist and he gets drunk alone a lot. And so to like assert her independence and because she's cool or whatever... She has a roommate and she drives for a rideshare app, but she exclusively drives this guy who she knows is going to be uh, too, too drunk to drive himself home from the local watering hole most weeknights. <laughs> and uh, so she just like, she's like, I figured out the algorithm. It's just based on dense distance. So if I just park outside <laughs> the bar... I know that I'll get to pick him up eventually. And she does repeatedly. And they have this like little repartee. And he thinks her name is Anne because she wears 
the ingenious disguise of a baseball cap. And picks him up at night when he's drunk. So. Yeah, also the ingenious disguise of the other person being drunk. So anyways, she, but she's got, you know, she's carrying a little bit of a torch. And uh, like the back of the book describing this is like as of, as him being like misbehaving. Like he's not like a bad boy. Like he's definitely not going to be like one of those like super macho heroes. Like he's very sensitive and articulate. He's flirty, I guess. He's like Colin McCoy in The Decemberists. Like the baddest bad thing about him is that he draws really pretty birds in tattoo art i would say the baddest bad thing about him is the regular weeknight inebriation sure but i think like this book doesn't (laughs) problematize his alcoholism no that's yeah that's what i was working up to like the back of the book saying that it's misbehaving is is kind of in line with the tone where it's like oh he's just lost and i and i guess like it's fine because it's not like for the rest of the book he's always drinking like as soon as he gets the the house for the wedding he stops drinking uh and he's just into drawing on his ipad but it is like like if you can with that much sureness park outside of a bar every night and know that you're gonna see this guy that you like i think you should be a better friend red flag boo boo or like anybody should be a better friend and that's what i mean where it's like the assumption that this book has is like everyone with the exception of the villain is a good faith actor right and everybody assumes a lot of good faith in everyone else but not all of their behaviors are good faith behaviors and this is one of them right where like this book is like as she even says in her internality this is like stalking but i don't want to hurt him and i'm like it's just stalking boo yeah there isn't like it's (laughs) it's not like when they ask someone about their uh stalking behaviors they're like do you want to hurt them and then the person's like no and they're like okay (laughs) for a second i thought this was stalking oh it's a misunderstanding (laughs) but it turns out what you're doing is totally chill continue totally sane please like that's fair that's the behavior of a right-minded person yeah continue on um but this book is like so convincingly boring about that like batshit stuff <laughs> and then it's like she's <laughs> over the course of stalking this man developed a business plan to make ride shares more safe <laughs> from people like her I know. <laughs> Look how easy it was to, for me to exploit this. <laughs> Imagine what somebody would do who was not a good person or a blue-blooded heiress. Ugh. Imagine what they could have done. Exactly. This book does that thing where, like, it's interested in, like, this edginess but isn't actually edgy. Mm-hmm. Which is also what happened in The Right Swipe. Yeah. And, like, it reminds me, like, I feel like it has this very specific aesthetic, Mm -hmm. which is the Apprentice theme song played inside the buckle. Do you remember the buckle? The the clothing store at the mall? Yeah. Yeah, the clothing store at the mall where you could get Ed Hardy t-shirts and Obey t-shirts and jeans with rhinestones on the back pockets. I do remember the buckle. Yeah, and do you remember the Apprentice theme song? Not at all. Money, 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 money. It was like a remix 
of a 70s, like a disco tune mm. about money, not like a danceable one. <laughs> and so like, that's what I think about. And I feel like there are, in the contemporaries we've read, there's like this crisp, bright, primary colors aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And that would be something like The Hating Game, right? Or The Right Swipe. Because I, I don't think it's just about rom-com, although you would be justified in thinking The Right Swipe was the, a rom-com if you picked it up at the store. Mm-hmm. But it's not, right? Like this kind of, it's steamy, but it's, but so is The Hating Game. Also angsty. Yeah, like, and that's also part of the problem. This actually just came up on Twitter. There's a new Twitter bot that is like, it does it bang. And it's just compiling uh, whether or not there's sex in the books. And most of the entries so far and most of the questions have been about these trade paperbacks with the illustrated covers. Uh Uh-huh. And then many people have been like, well, this is evidence that people don't understand the heat level of these books because they've been made completely opaque. Well, no shit. <laughs> Be cool if someone had made that point. <laughs> but I, I think like there's these two aesthetics for like, okay, contemporary romance in the 21st century. You've got this like crisp primary color sunshine day it doesn't mean that it doesn't have angst it just it's very la right kind of vibes and then there's this other one that's like maroons and navies and rain and like bad tree branch tattoos and those are like the edgier ones that still like aren't necessarily angsty right like this book isn't that angsty but I think it falls into the camp of the latter I feel like when people are coming to the table to create romance fantasies set in the 21st century the movie in their mind is like shot by one of these two cinematographers who doesn't exist like the principal photography is going to be one of these two color stories one of these two vibes and there's something about this particular vibe that feels disingenuous in its attempt at authenticity and the other one feels inherently inauthentic like it's too it's like too syrupy so for example, here's here's something. So Livy, one of our characters in this book, she works at the tattoo parlor, even though she's very wealthy and she doesn't have to, with our hero. And she's not wealthy because her mother got swindled out of her shares out of the company and like entered a period of not poverty, middle class stuff. Middle class. Okay. But she's the tattoo artist nonetheless, right? Yeah. And she's marrying the son of the scion. Right. And her specialty is uh, watercolor tattoos. And there's this like brief anecdote where our hero in this book, Gabe, who runs the tattoo parlor, talks about how frustrating it is because Livy's taking this time off from her job and people are showing up for appointments and then they're disappointed because they have to work with this guy who has like a fine line specialty as opposed to a watercolor specialty. And it's like, that's not how tattoo parlors work. <laughs> like, that's not how getting a tattoo like that works. Like, if you made an appointment with someone who specializes in watercolor and you showed up and some guy who had a totally different specialty was like, oh, she's out, but I can help you. You would be like, no, I just need I need a refund on my deposit because you would also have put down a deposit. Like, But it's like, do you know what's like a cool job that's still artsy? Tattoos. Tattoo artists. Tattoo artists, right? 
Like, it's, like, edgy, but then it reveals how, like, unqualified the edginess is in the text. I think that's exactly right. And, like, its corollary would be, like, the cupcake bakery owner. Yes. that's th- See, that's that's way better than all the gibberish I was just talking. There's an aesthetic where the person, where there's, like, gonna be a cupcake, and there's an aesthetic where there's, like, going to be a tattoo and probably, like, a motorcycle jacket, right? Like, the inevitability. And this is in that, like, tattoo motorcycle jacket, even though it opens at a ca- in a cake test tasting. But regular cakes, full cakes. It does. <laughs> Big wedding cakes. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. There is something when people accuse romance of being formulaic. It's not that I bristle because I understand it. And I think the formula can, the endless variations in the formula can be really freeing. I think there's a lot that people do with these paint boxes. And I think that when you hit certain beats, like it can work really well. The formula isn't necessarily a trap or a bad thing. Just like when people are like, well, mysteries are formulaic. Like they always solve it at the end. It's like, (laughs) okay but there is something i think especially in these contemporaries as you have beautifully pointed out that there is like this very strange dichotomy and it really kind of falls into these two color palettes and these two like feeling schemas well like feeling schemas feels wrong because the cupcake books can be angsty they can and the tattoo books can be kind of like cupcakey whimsical and fun like this is basically like a like a vacation story like they go to like a sleepy new england town right it's a house party and does it have like you know there is angst <laughs> i mean is there because because all of the angst is like literally resolved like two pages later there'll be a misunderstanding there'll be an internality about the misunderstanding and then they'll be like let's talk about it like adults and that's what i mean where it's like sometimes this book felt like a very special episode Where like, you know, Eve is like, I can't stand up to my brother. And then she has a conversation with Livy and she's like, you got to assert your dominance and you have to celebrate your accomplishments because no one will celebrate them for you. And then she, you know, she's like, oh, I'm going to internalize that. And then like two pages later, someone's like, hey, congratulations on X, Y. And she and her first instinct is like, no, I can't. And then she's like, but I remember what Livy said. And she said that I have to celebrate my accomplishments. So thank you. I didn't hate it in the reading of it. No. But it does feel weirdly formulaic and weirdly prescriptive. Like there was... At times it felt like this book was doing predictive text. And also the fact that it was published in (laughs) 2018, this very much feels like it was potentially written in like Obama 2015 because like we've got you know Seda who's like Pakistani and then we've got the Okas who are Japanese Americans and also grandpa was interned in a concentration camp by the Americans but then his good American white friend took care of his farm and that's how they became partners in the 1950s to like start this business and then you have uh Gabe's adoptive mother who's this beautiful black woman and then like it's like it comments on everybody's race and ethnicity but not to the point that feels gross but to the point where it's like this is diversity and I didn't hate it, but I also, like, I noticed what it was doing, where they're like, this is what multiculturalism oh. mm-hmm. in America really could mean if we thought about it a little bit harder, guys. And I don't hate that progressive modality because I believe in it. 
But then I also wonder, like, if is this book's project about normalizing that? Or is this book's project preaching to the choir, a.k.a. me? Yeah. Well, is it about normalizing it or is it about featuring it for the purposes of, like, adding a adding an element of appeal because it does it calls it out specifically i think they're talking about the little boy the one child mm-hmm. right and the and the kareem kareem paul's son and they point out like the different racial and cultural identities that are surrounding him and raising him and it, yeah so i i don't think it's like i i think you could argue that it's normalizing it but it's that thing where like if you point it out in a really big way and you like clang a symbol next to it it's not really normalizing it like it's actually pointing out how like abnormal it is it's the exception proving the rule kind of thing right and like true normalization would be like if we just didn't have to talk about it yeah like you could mention the fact that like these people have these identities right Mm -hmm, but we didn't have to make a very special episode about it yeah i think this book has a project and the book wants you to know what the project is again didn't hate it just like noticed it yeah yeah i don't know maybe i'm wrong about the two aesthetics rather than it being a dichotomy it might be more of a spectrum and i think we're gonna find like a lot of clusters on either end between the cupcake and the tattoo but Mm. of course they're gonna be some that fall in between oh yeah and like you know if you think of one dear listener womantic that doesn't fall clearly on one side or the other hit us up tell us what it is and you know we'll read it and consider it but I do think especially if we're talking about contemporary romances 2015 forward, they do seem to really fall in this way. And I think part of this is this collapse of the the cover being a way to understand heat level and the meteoric rise of indie publishing where you can get any tipple that you want Mm. uh and like as long as you have a niche audience it doesn't like you can just be cranking those out in a particular kind of way and that i think that publishing mainstay publishing might be self-sorting into this dichotomy because it sees it as marketable and safe you know, I've been I've been thinking about splatterpunk in in horror, which is also called extreme horror, and the whole point of it is to be like very gross and make people uncomfortable. And there are books that kind of transcend that while being that. And splatterpunk was kind of devised at a conference as like a thing we horror writers should try because there was this idea that like everyone was kind of leaning too far into the whole Bella Lugosi thing of the villain being sexy, you know, something mysterious about violence and almost, you know, glamorizing, right? Like to literally put like a veil between the reader and these atrocious acts, right, is to glamorize it. And it's also to like undermine. So these writers started creating extreme horror and extreme horror isn't just like blood and guts. It'll have, you know, racism, sexism, all of the horrors of the world, right? And I feel like in contemporary romance especially with current publishing right you hear about these books and we call them forbidden romance right and they kind of seem like the splatterpunk of romance the fucking agility test (laughs) of a reader and it seems like here is a really good place where you can see the cupcake versus the tattoo because you have these kind of like whimsical versions of it almost which are gonna be I haven't read the centaur milking book but very popular the ice planet barbarians right and then on the other end you have books like i think it's called like 
Pennies from Heaven or something, which is about like falling in love with your sex trafficker, right? Like books with like extreme scenes of like rape and it's and it's called rape and that's the point, right? It's not some like glamorized, veiled Joanna Lindsay, right, thing. It's like very much the point. Mm-hmm. We lose quick and easy ways of communicating to people which end of the spectrum a novel falls on. And if we're like living exclusively on this spectrum, and like I, I feel like the fact that a spectrum has developed is partially because of like, like the spectrum is inevitably going to lead to these two extremes, right? Because we're always talking to each other and like always reacting and texts are always reacting to one another, right? Like, you know... <sighs> God, we talk. I feel like it's all I talk about now. But like Fifty Shades of Grey was a reaction to Twilight and then everything that's kind of bloomed <laughs> from there. The billionaire trope. Yeah, the billionaire trope coming back, right? And like also the idea of like BDSM or like a bad boy, which is just an emotionally um, unavailable asshole. Vapid unavailable or it's just not there it's not like he's he has nothing to withhold <laughs> what if you what if you like peel back the layers of that onion and then suddenly uh they're all on the floor the ground about your feet and your hands are empty and you have no onion. <laughs> anyways there's this like publishing wants to have it all and so, like big publishing right and so they have this interest in making marketing materials which is what a cover is that appeal to like the greatest common denominator. Mm-hmm. And so while we're having this like kind of extreme development in publishing, right? Even though I, I would say like the most extreme stuff is still self-published, but you have this development, there's going to be resistance to like acknowledging that on the cover. People could end up in a sticky situation. Like my my neighborhood bookstore, Bucket of Blood, they have extreme horror but they have it sequestered (laughs) in like a shelf that is alphabetized and labeled extreme horror slash splatterpunk so that no one accidentally, because it is like horror covers are, I mean, horror is going through their own thing where with art covers, but they're, they're, they've always been kind of sufficiently vague as far as like how brutal the text is going to be. And listen, I don't think this is like a new, like nothing is new. Like, let's be real. Like romance suffered a similar problem in the early 90s when it had like the jewelry without a step back or in the historical version, it was just a house on like a hill. Publishing is constantly trying to figure out a way to trick you to buy romance. (laughs) and like it's like you don't have to trick anybody it's a very popular genre people are gonna find it like stop trying to make romance something that it isn't and I think this is part of that and like I think this book really fits in neatly into this modern discussion about like who is romance for everyone but shouldn't it primarily be for romance readers and like what is this move to negate the romance reader in the hopes of capturing some like other it's I don't know it's weird because it's like somebody who reads literary fiction isn't going to be fooled by this (laughs) I don't understand is like I guess my question but like obviously wiser minds than me who are watching the market know more than I do well that's the thing like let's think about like horror going to these like art covers which are like actual 
you know, like not developed necessarily just for the cover, right? These are like artists who are like selling in galleries are also creating cover art for horror novels now. And you could, if you were a literary fiction person and not interested, you could, you could be fooled by those horror covers, right? So there's also something about the fact that like, why hasn't romance gone in that direction? Why have we gone in this very specific illustrated cover direction as opposed to like these more artsy covers which would supposedly serve the same purpose so like what what gives <laughs> it is a uh, it's so interesting like why aren't they more abstract like you know there's still humans on the cover you know you see two human beings on the cover there's something about that like pile of jewelry like right that's abstract but it's not abstract enough the adirondack chairs that's abstract but that's not abstract enough so there is like this and we could like why wouldn't we go full force into you know having those kinds of like high literature covers why don't they I don't know. I think we'll probably keep mulling on this, but this, this particular, to return to the text at hand, this book is a clinch cover. We've got a man bunted ginger. Can I tell, can I mention on this show that you thought he was wrapped in a kilt? I did think that. And it's, no, it's just a flannel shirt. They're, they're, okay. So every book in the series has a remarkably similar title. Yeah. So I go to the public library to check it out and I'm confronted by like this cluster of books with remarkably similar titles. And suddenly my brain is scrambled as to which one I need. So I grabbed like pretty much all of them off the shelf to check out and check with Isabel. And I called Isabel and I was like, once I left the library. And I was home safely with my bundle of books. And I was like, which one are we reading? And she was like, oh, it's the one with a guy in a, like, he's got like a kilt on his shoulders. And I was like, what? And I was like, I didn't get any, none of them have a kilt on their shoulder. And then I realized it was the, it was a plaid shirt. It was a flannel shirt. The flannel. It's a plaid shirt. Well, it's because I'm so primed for like, you know, fucking Scotsman. And he's a ginger on top of it. Well, let's talk about how he looks like a laird. He's wrapped like the... Yeah, he looks like a laird. Is the flannel shirt not the contemporary kilt? That's what I'm saying. That's what I was saying. (laughs) I'm like... You were giving me a metaphor and I was just too literal. It's true. (laughs) Well, this book... Is kind of like a flannel shirt subbing in for a kilt. Yes. It's like a wedding party at the upstate house, but it's definitely a house party from a historical. There's a rainstorm where our heroine gets lost and the hero has to- On a horse. On a horse. (laughs) And the hero has to go look for her and he doesn't ride a horse. He rides an ATV, but it's like the fucking same thing. And instead of the abandoned folly on the property, it's like- a park district cabin. <laughs> a park ranger's cabin. <laughs> and it's like, that would have been like the gamekeeper in a Duke book. And it's just like, sometimes it was two one for one where it's like, yes, wealth operates in the 21st century, surprisingly and even horrifyingly similarly to the way that it operated in the 18th century. See, I don't think this book was trying to make that point because every it wasn't point the book was trying to make was very explicitly stated, but it does accidentally and subtly make that same point. Yes. And they, like, live in this, like, small town, which is also very historical Roman, like the, the village, you know. Exactly. But all that is... The dressmaker. Oh, my God. There's so much one-to-one historical romance stuff in this. Yeah, like, the only difference is basically cell phones and, like, 
not corsets. But like even the house they're staying at has like a tennis court and staff. Yeah. The house they're staying at also has an indoor swimming pool, which I love a pool. I am totally identify with the heroine. If there is a body of water, I will try to get into it. But I would prefer not to live in a house with an indoor pool. Everything just ends up smelling like chlorine. Yeah, and that like musty smell, you know, that indoor pools have. Everything's damp. No, I agree. So moving from that point, Morgan, what's your sexiest part? Not the damp pool. (laughs) Oh, no, not the damp pool. I suppose it's like a very specific moment when they are in the park ranger's house and it's raining and storming and he's found her on the dirt bike and he's like, well, we got to wait out the storm so that we can safely return. And he's like, we got to get out of our wet clothes. And they undress with their backs to each other. I liked that part. But then there's this whole thing where he's talking about her hot pink brassiere. And there's something about the clothing in this book that I find like it was specifically not my taste. He's very turned on by her cherry printed swimsuit. And then she says something like, I also have a watermelon printed one. And he's like, wow, don't tell me that. And I'm like, is he, Mm -hmm. are we meant to believe that this man is getting hard over a fruit kitsch print swimsuit? And then like a hot pink bra. And he's like, it's so unexpected for her. Which like, yeah, it would be like the way she's described is like dressing like she's out of a Talbot's catalog. It it just wasn't that groovy. (laughs) And like, oh, the cherry print bikini has reminded me of my actual, of a, a sexier part, which is that our hero fixates on like a little back roll that she has underneath her bikini. Mm-hmm. It was a nice fixation. And it was like, it wasn't over the top. And it was like very sex- sexualized, very sexy. It wasn't like the fact that she had this role told me that she was confident in who she was as a person and I thought it was so brave of her to wear a swimsuit where you could see a roll he was just like I like that and I'd like to kiss her on it and bite her on it and I was like that's cool like that's nice I will say her body and the way that it's described one of the coolest things I've read in a contemporary romance in a long time like she's got noticeably different nipples like they're not raspberry or strawberry buds And, like, there is time spent on what the areola felt and looked like. And I was like, boy, howdy. Well, it it did attribute, like, a human personality trait to the nipples, I think. What was it? (laughs) It was some, like, version of sassy. It was, like, a much much more, like, SAT word version of sassy. I, like, we spent so much time talking about the nipple and the areola and then the breast. I was like... Have I ever read this much validation of a boob? I don't know that I have. And I was not, that wasn't, what do I want to say? It wasn't sexy to me, but I liked that it was there. Um, And there are a couple other moments like that. Like the role at the pool was a good one. There was another one just like generally about, she's not as thin as the other women there, but like that isn't the comment. The comment is about like how she fits in her clothes and like how she like, walks into a room and I liked all of that. My sexiest part is also, I really like the sex that they have in the cabin. I like that like they have sex on this weird couch. I don't know. But also the sex is really weird and revealing. Like you talk about the id and like it's also part of my weirdest part because there's this 
scene when he like finally goes down on her and she's like, I've never had this happen to me. And it's like, one, because some guy was like, that's gross and I won't do it. And then the other person that she was with in a relationship offered, but she told him no. That didn't read dishonestly in the book, but it it was mm. notable. And I was like, this is a weird thing to then have, like for Gabe to be the first to do it. These are two weird reasons to not like to to explain why he's the first person to go down on this adult woman. There was another thing like that where I was like, this is a I feel like something mm-hmm. has been it's like too honest. It was like too reality. There's something like too specific and like too personal about it. Yeah. It felt really personal. I was like, ooh, that feels like a journal entry and not like the interiority of a character. Mm-hmm. And it kind of comes out so like you're talking about like how her body well like the thing is is like her body is sufficiently like there are these specific pieces but like she's not constantly thinking about what her body looks like or how it's moving through the world and so there's this thing about like how almost anybody could relate to it I recently saw my back in a photo from a friend's wedding and I was sitting next to someone who was significantly thinner than me we both had a back roll just different back rolls you know and it, it it's like we all have back rolls so like everyone can kind of identify with like that part of being like a fleshy body you know it's universally related like it, it walks this really fine line, especially in the sex scenes and like the beholding of the heroine's body, that it's like specific enough that you can be like, I wish someone thought this. I like being thought of with these specific compliments, right? One of my favorite things about you, Isabeau, is that your compliments are so specific. Everybody likes a specific compliment, but they're also vague enough that they kind of like, I wouldn't have been like, this is a plus size heroine. And I also wouldn't be like, this is a woody wisp heroine you know and so those moments whenever there's this like journal entry type specificity I think really kind of stands out more because it's really deft and then it's like yeah oh that's like such a good way of explaining it that it's like specific enough in terms of like the thinking about it like now that you mentioned it maybe I don't know anything about her body and that was everything I was bringing to the book that like had just like scaffolded enough for me because like other than her nipples and her dark hair I actually don't know anything about her dimensions I know how Gabe feels about how she looks that's crazy and super interesting and also like such a good way of helping me get to like my weirdest part where it's like it's this insane kakunk of corporeality <laughs> where it's like this book is not very angsty it's like not it's steamy but like the steaminess like like steamrolls you like <laughs> in this in this sex scene in the in the park ranger cabin like he, she's like I want to give you a blowjob and I'm like okay and then he's like fucking her face to the point where she's crying and I was like what yeah. book am I in we're having a cozy night in playing playing monopoly and now oh man there's like a term for that nowadays that they like don't call it face fucking because now it's become mainstream so it has like a nice french word that people use but i'm just an old millennial so i guess i'll call it throat (laughs) fucking i mean that's what he does he like gets her like you know whatever the what is that called like your apoglottis yeah your apoglottis <laughs> that dangly thing that hangs in the back of my throat and i was like we were just playing monopoly uh, like we were literally <laughs> just in front of the fire wrapped in blankets and now he is literally fucking her face and i was like i there was nothing 
And then there was everything. And I was like, I don't, did I skip this? Like, what the Now look, now look, now look. Here, the good people at Womance recognize that people contain multitudes, right? And like, you should have like a cozy night in that's leading up to a pretty uh, intense blowjob, right? Uh, But the thing is like, he like, she initially like reads the room and like shows him her breasts. And then he's like, no, I don't want to have sex with you. I don't think it would be appropriate. And then it's like, actually. Yeah, like, um. Uh, hold that thought. I, I thought about it for 30 <laughs> seconds and I and I want that. That's the kathunk. Where it's like, oh, I'm I'm tenderly trepidation all the way in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, does this feel good? Great. It's like someone being like, I want you please be gentle. And they're like, sure thing. And then it's fisting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, that's what I meant. Glad you got the message. Well, how did I get here? (laughs) I know. I felt like I'd skipped like some words and it was like, what is? No, I had the same experience, but it was 100% because he was like, gee, I don't know. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then suddenly he's like, well, I agreed to it. So now it's all of it. It's the whole enchilada. In for a penny, in for my whole wiener (laughs) in your esophagus repeatedly. Punching you in the neck from the back. (laughs) Yeah, and it was like eyes watering. It was a sexy book. I just didn't expect it to be that sexy. The sex scenes were great, but like the texture of the love story is like contain multitudes. But there are moments when it like that specific moment when it can thunks right into the sex. Yeah, bottoms out into it. Yeah. Yeah, bottoms out. Exactly. What's your weirdest part? I recognize as a human being who wants to find romantic love in the 21st century, you don't just meet people anymore. But it seems in lieu of dating apps, a la the right swipe, the only way people meet each other in this group is who people they've known since they were five. (laughs) Your dead brother's wife? Like enemy family's secret adult it seems wild to be like this worldly and have but then like everybody's like marrying each other i guess i'm just like a little exhausted by it i just wish people could just meet in a book there's this concept of like meet cute right i haven't read a meet cute in such a long time isabeau like in a contemporary romance i was like well listeners you've heard the call we need an honest to goodness meet cute that isn't somebody's little sister family friend or dead brother's wife or just stepsister (laughs) (laughs) the thing the thing that was so funny about that because like i also had that feeling where it's like you only date inside your family you only date inside like this itty bitty community but i'm like i guess that's how the british royalty did it you know what i mean so if we're doing a one-for-one historical well and this is very much yeah and this is very much that and that's that's how i explain it i guess like this is just how uber wealthy people do like you got to consolidate that wealth you're right. I can't make my weirdest part in this book about my weirdest part in all contemporary romance because this book actually has a pretty good excuse for it compared to the other ones. Fair. I guess, I, but I will say, related to the family, like, so many characters to keep track of. Too many characters. Yeah. It was It was confusing. I got it at, I got it at the end, you know, when it really counted. Also, this uh, Hail Mary evil father showing up at the end to be evil (laughs) yeah yeah just to be evil and then failing because they're a team now 
Yeah, there are some places where it, it kind of falls flat. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, here's the thing. Like, this is a really, like, this is a structurally sound book. This is, like, good dialogue. Really funny dialogue. There there are chuckles to be had while reading this text. Like, it's kind of a good all-around tattoo contemporary romance. And so it's really hard to find, like, a weirdest part. We've had this problem before on the show where it's hard to find something weird. I mean, perhaps restrained is the right word. Perhaps calculated or, you know, refined. Refined or restrained. I don't know which one this is. <laughs> I think it's restrained. I can I propose something to you and like if you don't have a weirdest part like I think that's like part of the craft of this book but I did have a question that I wanted to talk through with you and I think this is a good place to do it where this book at the end says this thing that I had never read in a romance novel before that felt antithetical even to what romances are doing and she says to Gabe I like your mask I like the person beneath it I like all of you. And most romances function on the idea that masks are bad because it hides your authentic self. Right. And I don't know that I had ever read, ever, in any book that I've read, I like this outside thing that you show that isn't the totality of you because that's who I met first and like it functions and it functions for a reason. Like there's a reason that you are this thing. And they like the soft turtle underneath it, too. I like the shell. I like whatever's under the shell. And I was like, oh, shit. That feels, like, antithetical to an entire, like, premise of romance where it's like, I see you, right? Like, to be truly seen. But, like, if you don't see the mask and, like, why it was perfected in the first place, like, are you ever really seeing the whole person? Yeah, that's a really good point. Is it antithetical or is it just like a very like clear, concise criticism? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, shit. And like, I have been thinking about it since I read that line. And I'm like, because at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I agree. And then I was like, oh, I get it in this book. It makes sense for this book. And I'm like, do I agree on like a more broad level? And I was like, maybe I do. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like that's a really good point. Like if someone... And we all do. Like, understanding a person's, you know, mask, uh, <laughs> to use the the terminology of the text, like, really involves, like, first of all, like, of course you do. When you met the person, that was all you knew. That's all you knew. <laughs> and you, like, hung around for it, right? And I also like the idea that this book presents at in the ending that, like, the mask isn't in opposition to... The internality, yeah, the mask is like an extension of it. It's much more like a turtle, a tortoise shell than an actual mask or like a callus. Yeah, like a callus. And it it struck me so strongly because so many books are about like when when a main character knows the other character so well, they can see the mask go on. And like that's yeah, and they don't like it because then they're not being their authentic self. And I and like I I understand the function of that in the book yeah. because it tells us something about their intimacy. But I think this thing where it's like I like your mask and I like the thing underneath, like that's actually pretty fucking solid. But well, here we go. Maybe that's why Enemies to Lovers is so popular because mm. that person hates your mask 
And if the person (laughs) you love hates your mask, then you don't have to wear your mask. I also like, and that's like a little disingenuous, but hey, it's like the realm of fantasy, right? Like you're never going to be able to not have it. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's a shell. It's not a mask. But maybe part of the fantasy of like enemies to lovers, which is like incredibly popular Mm -hmm. and must be for a reason. And like enemies to lovers is also like the one trope that I think most people would be like, never. I would (laughs) never want to actually experience an enemies to lovers love story in my real life. But like someone falling in love only with the real you, you know, as opposed to like your mask and being like your mask is trash. (laughs) Right. It's what's prevented me from loving the real you. Yeah. And I also think like, That also feeds into the idea that, like, I would be more popular, I would be more successful if people could just know the real me. But I've got my mask. I think that's good. Like, it made me think, it made me think something new about the genre. Well, like, that's the thing. This book is, like, super deft. I think it's more refined than it is restrained. Because, I like, yeah, that's such a good, and it's very concisely put that ending. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, this is really great. This is what I would like ultimate test. This is what I would like someone to say to me. Ultimate test is something that you would like somebody to say to you. I like your mask and I like what's underneath. I don't believe you. We're not enemies to lovers, (laughs) (laughs) boo-boo. All right. Well, here we go. Womance? Nomance. It's a romance for me. And the reason why I had you ask me the time travel question is like, I am not sure that if I hadn't read Fixer Up that this would have been a romance. But because of the context of that book, and this felt like such a palate cleanser and like everything that we've talked about, it is indeed a romance for me. I would recommend it. I liked this better than the right swipe free and clear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This really has its ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. It's got like a, a, a clear-eyedness. Yeah. So it's a woe for me. I, I would say it's a woe for me too. I think this would, yeah. I think so. And I, I think I would like it even if, if, I, if I hadn't read Fixer Up, but I'll never know. <laughs> That's the way the time works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, any parting thoughts on this, this particular text? Uh, just, you know. Prepare yourself to be, you know, surprised. That's like one of the things like you can return to an author that you maybe didn't like that much. You can always go through their back catalog if they have one. Like, you know, it's always good to revisit and rethink. Yeah, and I would really like to read. She's written historicals, right? I don't know. Kind of seems like she should if she hasn't. Oh, she's got a good like tagline for her website. All the heat, all the heart. She's also really popular on social media. She's got a fantasy series. It says fantasy in the title. These all look like contemporary. Oh, yeah. I don't think she has, but maybe she should give it a go. I would read it. Me too. She clearly knows the tropes. Clearly knows the tropes. And uh, also, I think it's like if you're thinking about giving some podcasters a free book, you know, go for it. Because two years after the fact, they might talk about that book well after the author has already become wildly successful. True story. You never know. never know. With that. Uh, loosen your stays but never your principles never your principles Mwah. Mwah. Woli guacamole everyone thanks for listening to another episode of Womance 
Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womans and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womanspodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.